have we got an awesome interview for you guys today. Uh, two badass dudes who are part of a badass group. Uh, the group is called Prophets of Rage, I already love it. And it's Chuck D and Tom Morello. I mean, you wanna talk about the revolution, here it is. And so here we are, Rebel headquarters with two guys who are in the revolution business. What's going um, on, man? How are you? Yeah. Nice to see you. Great to see you, Tom. Tom, uh, this is the third time I'm talking to you. Sure. And Chuck, this is the millionth time I'm listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> all relative. I'm glad we're all yeah. related in, in the same spot, you know? Yep. So Chuck D and I were actually colleagues at Air America. That's right. But we never got to meet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Across the wire, we was in New York, mm -hmm. and the Young Turks and you know always you know was dropping bombs from the other coast. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's exactly right. And uh, and my I was telling the, the audience on the show today on the Young Turks today that um, uh, my freshman and sophomore year of college I listened to uh, Public Enemy every day at least three times a day. So it's it's a great. You know you're on the right track when that you're doing that. So that's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, while at Air America, we played so much Rage Against the Machine as our beds. Yeah. You know, going in and out of segments. Uh, Ghost of Tom Joad uh, with you and Bruce is on my uh, is on my playlist. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. So look, I, I'm I'm fanning out a little bit here. Uh, I think I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> um, so uh, look, and you guys picked the coolest names. That's the other thing, right? All these, you're in an axis of justice? Axis of justice. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, this is right up my alley. <laughs> so I don't know if you heard of the Justice Democrats, but we gotta, we gotta find a way to mm. get them in the axis of justice. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, I started a, a, a group with some of the people who worked at Bernie Sanders' campaign. Mm -hmm. To primary corporate Democrats mm -hmm. and to run real progressives, uncorrupted, mm -hmm. uh, with no corporate PAC money. Mm -hmm. And so, Tom, let me start with a you. Noble goal. Yeah. yeah. Noble so goal. I want to tell them about Prophets of Rage and what you guys are up to. And you got a great new song coming out with another awesome title. But one sec, you, you worked at Alan Cranston's office. I was Alan United States Senator Alan Cranston's scheduling secretary for two years. Yeah. It's and and. Uh, all it the way cured back me. Then. It cured me of any desire to ever be in electoral politics. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how long ago was it? When was that? Oh, that would have been like uh, 88 to 90. Okay. Like and why did it cure you of that? Well, I mean, I, um, first of all, I was not sort of pursuing a career in electric. I was pursuing a career in rock and roll, and it was one of the only gigs. I had a very thin. Uh, uh, work resume. I, I worked at the Renaissance Fair for five years, so I could juggle and do a couple of magic tricks, but I could not get hired to sell Iron Maiden T-shirts on Hollywood Boulevard. Enter the senator's office, which hired me to schedule <laughs> his trips around um, California. And the reason why, while Senator Cranston was personally a good dude, he had a sort of a progressive uh, agenda. He was good on immigration. He was good on the environment. That's what drew me to the office to begin with. Um, but I got to see just how much. Uh, from the how the sausage was made with regards to how money controls politics. This is the days before sort of cell phones. We would go to a we would go to a like a hotel bank of payphones and we would block them out. And I would just call one rich guy after another, hand to the senator, and he's asking for money. While the you know the phones would be dangling, he'd pick up one after another, and none of that money ever came for free. Secondarily, I was on this sort of brings us to this is uh, uh, resonates in 2017. Uh, one day, a, uh, a woman called up the senator's office and she wanted to complain to the senator because Mexicans were moving into her neighborhood. She was outraged, and mm -hmm. so I told her what I thought. I thought I'm representing, you know, this progressive senator. I told her, "Ma'am, you can go to hell." So she called up and she, you know, <laughs> she said, "I'm going to complain to your superiors." I said, well, you better complain to my superiors <laughs> because they're going to tell you to go to hell too. 
I was wrong about that. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, I got yelled at all for two weeks in a row. And I thought, if I'm in a job where I can't tell a racist to go to hell, then I'm not in the right job. In Prophets of Rage, we make no bones about telling racists to go to hell. In 2017, if you're a racist, go to hell. That's funny. I was in an interview with Cheddar this morning, and they asked me, "Well, you know, are you going to get try to get Trump supporters to also listen to your show?" No. If you're a neo-Nazi white nationalist Trump supporter, I told him, "Go ahead and piss off. I don't want you watching the show. I got no interest in you." Yeah. So now. Chuck, uh, you the the you did songs like "Fight the Power," "Bring the Noise," "Don't Believe the Hype," like things that people say they don't know they got from you, right? Well, I got "Fight the Power" from the Osley Brothers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I know. So, but but basically, putting the next decade, which was mm -hmm. the '80s, after it was in the '70s. It had a lot of you know things to say about what was happening at that particular time. But there's a fight to power for every damn decade that if we're, if we're woke, we can see. And um, you could change the words around. I mean, F the police was really that kind of statement for the 1990s. So that every decade, if you're awake enough, you, you can apply that sentiment to the effery. Okay, can we curse on here? The fuckery yeah. that's going on. That's you bleep, right. bleep it out later. <laughs> no, 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 we won't even bleep it out. Uh, so, and it takes a nation of millions to hold us back was, was the particular album that I listened to over and over again. And it's that idea of, no, 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 we're too strong. Like, no, you're, you're, we're not in danger, we are the danger. <laughs> okay, we're coming for you guys, and mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. And so, where, where did you get that from, Chuck? Like, what, what was it about your life, your upbringing that made you wanna fight the power? Don't limit yourself to a box. I was born in 1960, and my first 10 years was a turbulent decade where there was a whole lot of redefinition, revolutionary thought, movement, peace and love, but also war and death. And so out of that decade, looking for answers, I was fortunate to have parents that gave it to me, uncut and unfiltered, and still gave me a branch of saying that, you know, you could be civil and still have peace and love in your heart, but I'll go about making changes and dare people to stop you. And um, so, you know, you have to fight for love. And that's unfortunately in this, this state of the game, in this time right now, you gotta fight for love, peace, and equality. So this is where we're at. How we fight depends on how many tools and collectives <laughs> that we organize ourselves to look at what's wrong, to try to overcome the right with at least uh, with, with as few casualties as possible. So uh, now we're in this decade and we're fighting this power. Uh, and so I gotta ask you guys about the news a little bit. Um, you got so new young faces, new young faces with new ways of racism, you know, but the same old, you know, root, you know, the same old root of, of hate and racism is at the core, but with new faces and new generations. And um, this is why you know you want to you want to up you know you want to change up the system you want to attack the system you want to revolutionize which means change the environment and um, we do it in music and songs and and culture because I th I believe that culture also could be used as a portal to put people to sleep so we want to use the portal to wake people up too yeah that, I, that's ex exactly right and the new song by the way is unfuck the world. Uh, which is A, super badass, B, gets to the point. We were, matter of fact, to cut you off, 
since we got 45 minutes. Be real, <laughs> our great MC says a censored version of unfuck the world is untrump the world, but we're not too sure what's the worst <laughs> curse word. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and he's also part of Prophets of Rage. Right. He's Very also a guy so. that I grew up listening to. Uh, you were college, Chuck D, and, and he was law school. Uh, every day in law school, insane in the membrane, the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, it's it's funny because I I did a video about exactly what you're talking about, Chuck. So uh, it was about how I'm like, how do we get to this point where there's fundamentalist Islam in the world? Because it actually all the Muslim countries were way more secular 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. Whether it was Muslims in India or Pakistan or even Afghanistan, there were people walking around in miniskirts in 1972 in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. right? Syria, Iraq, and Turkey, of course, way way mm -hmm. more secular, sure. right? Mm -hmm. And and when I researched it, make a long story short, it was the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia went and bought the media in a lot of the rest of the world. So they bought the newspapers, the radio stations, and the other country that helped them was the US. Because our genius idea was we'll get them to fight the godless communists. Yes. If we make the Muslims more fundamentalist and more violent, they will rebel against the Soviets. Yeah. How'd that work out? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. but but I got the same positive message you did, Chuck, out of it, which is that, well, the, so they poison the world, but we can unpoison the world, we, and we could capture the same portal, as you put it, and and use it for good. So we whether it's media or it's music, and and you know it's interesting. I, I was watching the Defiant Ones on HBO, and like every generations of musicians who are so popular. Are always rebelling. Johnny Cash with the middle mm -hmm. finger, sure. you know, Folsom Prison, and then you've got, you know, uh, you got Rage Against the Machine, you got Public Enemy, you've got uh, Nine Inch Nails, you've got uh, NWA. All those. It's all about screw the system, fuck the establishment, right? Mm -hmm. But yet here they are, and and so it's it's. It shows you that actually people want that because you guys sure. sold millions of albums sure. with that message. Sure. So how do, okay, Tom, back to you. How do we take that message that we know for a fact is enormously popular, yeah. right? And get it actually to win, to get yeah. power. Well, I mean, in the world of what we do, we're 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 musicians first and foremost. I didn't really choose to be a guitar player. That was kind of chosen for me It was as a calling and then I've, through my career, I had to figure out how to weave my convictions into that vocation. Um, because, and people often, you know, sort of snidely ask, well, can music change the world? Well, it changed my world. It was groups like Public Enemy and The Clash that opened up my um, mind to ideas beyond the small conservative uh, suburb in which which I grew up. We've tried to carry that through through decades of our career. And in, in, in Prophets of Rage in 2017, it's more important than ever to be engaged in the ongoing battle that's going on politically and culturally. And we've got a big megaphone. We've played in front of two and two and a half million people in the year that we've been in a band. And our first record's just about to come out. You know, so we've come out swinging. It's not enough to tweet about it or hashtag about it that we're going to rage about it. And the one thing that is, well, Chuck mentioned, it is discouraging that that with each generation, there's a new crop of young racists. There's a new crop of white supremacists. Well, get what? Guess what? There's a new crop of those who are willing to resist racism. A new crop of those who are willing to resist injustice, resist white supremacy. We're seeing that. I mean, that's what the president's very confused on this issue about right and wrong and good and bad. But you know, um, uh, uh, there's an anti-fascist in my family, my uncle. He fought in World War II against the fascists, you know, and he, you know, and he 
he with you know thousands of others stood to stop the horrible ideology in the only way that it can be stopped. And it can't be stopped with petitions. That's not how that works. So when anti-fascists are swinging, what, what is the correct way to deal with a Nazi? Because the Nazis program is to physically liquidate all Jewish people, exterminate all gay people, and ethnically cleanse all non-white people. The anti-fascist position is to stop that. So uh, it, the original anti-fascists were, were World War II veterans. Well, I mean, they, even before then, the original the, the word anti-fascist began in Berlin in 1932. The first anti-fascists were those who were standing up to the rising Nazi movement yeah. uh, in in Germany in 32. And those anti-fascists on the streets from Charlottesville and around the globe, those are heroes. Right. There, it is not equal amounts of violence. One of them are heroes standing up a, a repugnant fascist evil that has grown in the White House. The reason why they've got their hoods off in Charlottesville is because they've got their hoods off in the Oval Office. Right. They're emboldened by that white nationalism and that racism, which has been coddled by the White House. And the only way to stand, and the police don't stand up to it, the police protect them. There's The people are standing up to are the true heroes and our music, we, you know, We've tried throughout our careers to support those who are standing up against injustice, and our music is supporting that today. So, one of our contributors at TYT is Sean King, who also works at the Daily News. Mm -hmm. And so, Sean pointed out today that Takia Thompson's arrested the woman who brought down the monument in hmm. North Carolina. Sure. Yeah. But none of the guys who beat DeAndre Harris mm -hmm. in Charlottesville. He was the guy who was sure. attacked in the garage, sure. beaten with poles, yeah. eight staples in his head, sure. broken bones, etc. None of those guys have been arrested yet. Yeah. And so, um, and they'll tell you the probably the difference is like we don't do that. Like we're a different state. We don't do that. Like South Carolina chose to do. We're going to do it another way. You know, whatever crap. It's always imbalanced when it comes into identifying the flaws that are in this system, what they allow to happen and, and what they refuse to prevent from happening. And it, it has a long timeline of being that particular way that we've able to, to see so clearly last week. And what do you think about them taking down the monument? What, taking down a Confederate monument? Yeah, overdue. Well, asking me? <laughs> Overdue. Yeah, what are you talking from, about? From minute one, they're talking about the minute they started to put the casing into yeah. the, the the statue or whatever. You know, my feeling is just eradicate that in yourselves. But you know, I mean, the fact that it stands up is like almost holding on to like this is what we have left to remind you that you ain't shit. Yeah. And you know, symbols and and statues. You know, people come and go. There's like the, the amount of people who might, might have been protesting in the 80s and the 70s. You got people who have passed on and you have new people who were born. Just like the kid that ran into, uh, into the people, he's 20 years old, yep. born in 1997, right? Now, how does he actually get this whole you know, infusion of a principle that was so similar to somebody in that same area 100 years prior? Yeah. Doing the same activity of someone in 1917 dealing with, um, let's say, black soldiers coming back from World War One in, in 19. It was so much hate and vitriol in the United States of America that they didn't have a rhyme or reason to go into race riots other than, I can't stand you people now that we went to fight and now you think that you want something.
I mean, that was the the the, the, the beckoning reason in the, for the 1919 race riots. That's a hundred years ago, and to see this happen because these things are, have been institutionalized, they've been protected. And, but the thing what you have different is you have new generations. So when people say, well, how, why haven't we changed? Why is it the same thing? Because the system of, of it has not been examined and eradicated to the point where it's overhauled completely. And this is why, you know, somebody 20 years old might, you know, I'm not a racist like 1919 or my great great grandfather. I ain't got nothing to do with that. But their reasonings for why they're gonna act the way they wanna act right, particularly now, is backed by somebody in the White House that might say, well, you know, it's on both sides. The fault's on both sides. What the fuck are you saying, dude? Yeah, I think he crossed the line. Look, my sense of it is. He crossed the line? Yeah, I know. No, he's I know, the dude that's, that's like the Flintstones <laughs> that's drawing the line with his paw. And <laughs> 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 going like this. It's like, yeah. He's drawing the line. I think too many people have dads and uncles and grandfathers that fought in World War II for this country to support someone who's saying, well, you know, both sides do it, both the Nazis yeah, and the non-Nazis. To non -Nazis. excuse neo-Nazism, to yeah, excuse Klansmen. That's just, I mean, it's yeah. it's outrageous. But the thing is, like, there's you can like be outraged by it, or you can do something about it. You know, that's you, we have to stand yeah. up to that. In every instance, small and large, stand up to racism, stand up to neo-Nazis, whether it's in the streets, whether it's in the Oval Office, whether it's at your place of work. You know, whenever you see, I mean, that was the lesson that, you know, I've got kids, I got six and seven year old kids. And I tell them, whenever you hear someone being bullied, whenever, this is like my mom told me, whenever someone uses a bad word against somebody's skin color or against somebody's gender, or like you have to stand up, you have to say something. Why? One, because it's right, and two, because others will witness your courage mm -hmm. in standing up and it will encourage them to do the same thing. So uh, I, I wanna talk about hope because I think I think we're gonna win uh, and- uh, Hope? And, yeah. I think what Tom just says, like people want a courageous government, something that's willing to stand up against wrongs. People want that courage from leadership because not everybody is anointed, uh, could be anointed or anointing themselves to be a leader. But when you see something wrong, at least you would expect your government to say, you know what, that's fundamentally wrong. And we're gonna do our best to eradicate what's wrong to be right. Because yeah. there's a lot of people that we gotta govern. So it's partly the government, but as you guys were saying earlier, it's also partly music, culture, etc. So when I- That's what we do. When I, when I was growing up, I was actually a Republican. And I remember a speech that Jesse Jackson gave. Uh, when I was in college, I went to go hear him, I was open-minded. And, and he told us a story about how his father fought the Nazis. Mm -hmm. And then they had captured a bunch of Nazis and his dad had to sit behind them. <laughs> because they were still white. Because they were white <laughs> yeah. and he was black. And yeah. that shook me to my core. And then, and then I listened to your album, Chuck, and it made a difference. Yeah. And it got through. And, and you know, as Michael Wood, who's a former Baltimore police officer, I did a similar interview with here, once said to me, you know, I said, is it true what the cops do to African Americans? He said, what did you think, that they were lying for 100 years? Mm -hmm. You know, and he's white, but he was worked in Baltimore and he had a similar transformation. And he said, did you, did, does everybody in the country think that all that, all the black guys in the country have been lying for all this time? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, like for what purpose? Yeah, he's yeah, like, no, yeah. he's like, we could, you can't make arrests in the white part of town because it might be a judge. 
and that's gonna get you in trouble. Mm -hmm. But you need to make a certain number of arrests. What do you do? You go to the black part of town, sure. you go arrest people, they did it, they didn't do it, it doesn't matter. And, then, mm -hmm. and so, so that was the poison that was injected and it's still around. But I, I have a lot of hope that we're winning people over. Today on the show, somebody wrote in on YouTube saying, hey, you know what, uh, my dad has a Confederate flag and he, and, and we, he uh, proudly flies it and that's what I grew up with. You guys talked me out of it, okay? And you, you know, and, and I hear this all the time. I feel free, you know, because I'm not attached to hate anymore. Yeah. The most powerful thing I ever heard was Martin Luther King saying, We're not going down to the South just to liberate black folks. We're going to liberate white people from the hatred in their hearts because mm -hmm, sure. it's killing them. Yeah. Okay. And so now, back then it was worse. Today, again, though, here we are mm -hmm. in Charlottesville and, yeah. and it's back. New but, people. Yeah, new people and the same old way lingers around. But Tom says it best, he could explain better than anybody else in the world. The world ain't gonna fix itself. And that's the whole mission of Prophets of Rage. Uh, uh, going about and making these things happen by getting up off of our tails to do what we do to tell people, yes, you're gonna have to get up off of your tail to do what you do. Or, or try to have as little fear in your hearts to say what you need to say. Especially if you're of some age where you know that you, you're looking down at people with your uh, uh, authority or priority and your surroundings or whatever. If you have some position to say something and you're elevated to some status, then say something to do something because it ain't gonna fix itself. And that's why we made this ban to begin with, Prophets of Rage. Like it was a tumultuous political time in 2016. We're all very busy as you know, as fathers and as artists and different, but it was like, this is the like the megaton explosion of rock and roll and hip hop that we need to be able to be heard. It's the megaphone we need to be heard. And you know, and, and during our time as a band, we had a great time together. And we decided at that at the end of the, the tour, like the world hasn't fixed itself yet. And we're preaching to everybody like it's your job to change the world. Well, it's our job to do it too. So for Prophets of Rage, this record is a beginning. You know, the song "Unfuck the World," the song "Living on the 110," which addresses homelessness, the song "Radicalize." Which both celebrates those who have stood up to injustice and encourages you to do the same through your own radical eyes. Um, you know, there are these are our mission statements in 2017. We respect the catalogs of our previous bands, Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy, and Cypress Hill. But any band, in order to be worth its salt, in order to be great, has to stand on its own two feet and try to make music in the here and now that's going to resonate. Yeah. Collectives and organizations are powerful as well. And, and although you know, and be short. Uh, short term about this as far as what I'm saying is that in the music business there had been this let's say this agenda we don't want to say hidden agenda but to kind of like reduce the aspects of groups and not so much in the rock world but in all other aspects of the musics to reduce the groups into the individual especially mm -hmm. in hip-hop the individual the one person yeah. the star and what we have shown is like, look, man, in order to make these changes, you might have to organize and collect and be a group or be a super group of, of parents or individuals in your town to make these changes because you're going up against the machine for real. So if you want to rage against a machine, you better have the machinery as a collective to do that. Yeah, you got to join forces to be able to fight back, which is what exactly what our band has done. It's yeah. people from three different bands with different sort of ideas and perspective come together in solidarity to fight the power in 2017. Yep, and you know you've done a lot of collaborations, Tom, yeah. Audio Slave, sure. and sure. And, uh, and and Chuck, you know, Flavor Flav, and all the guys in Public Enemy were amazing. You were all amazing in in different ways. So 
I love it. Uh, and you guys did Make America Rage Again tour back yes, during sure, the election. Sure, sure, sure. So now, uh, who, who directed the video for Unfuck the World? Michael Moore. Uh, yeah, we've been a, a long time uh, collaborator uh, you know, through the years, and we called him up when we, we actually saw him. He came to our show in in Brooklyn in 2016, and we were just like, we're we're going to put on a record, and you must direct the first video for like, Timmy. Was in, in our band is very forceful in his opinions, and uh, and uh, Michael's like, I'm really busy. I'm doing a movie. I got a Broadway show, and, and we're like, but I'll do the video, and uh, I think it's a pretty powerful video. It's you know certainly stands shoulder to shoulder with some of the best videos we've made before and we've got three songs out now living on the 110 which is another pretty powerful video which is about the 110 freeway and the 110 is a freeway here in Los Angeles for your viewers who may not know and I think it really highlights the, 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 it's a very explicit analogy. You've got in a city of opulent wealth, you have Rolls Royces, Lamborghinis, and Bentleys literally driving on top of the people who live underneath the freeway mm-hmm. who have no means of transportation are getting their food out of dumpsters. Um, and that song highlights that issue. And the latest song, Radicalize, is um, you know in this day and age, like you put out four songs before a record comes out. I kind of like that. It's like it's you know here's a it's you're gonna like it or you're not. But we wear our hearts on our sleeves. And the first and most important thing for us, while most of our interviews, because we're the only political band that you're probably going to interview this year, I'm guessing, tend to dwell on the politics. For us, the single most important thing is that we rock your ass off with the music. <laughs> like there's no there's no excuse. You can sit around and talk all day about, you know, Guatemalan labor unions and how we're going to get Trump out of the White House, but if your jam doesn't move people the way that Public Enemy did, the way that Rage Against the Machine did, the way that Cypress Hill did, prophets of rage jams first and foremost have to be formidable musically in order for the music to mean anything. Well, I don't know. I might have another political interview with a musician. I might be talking to Senator Kid Rock at some point. Sure, he has, <laughs> he has, he has ideas too. He has Any ideas. of you guys want to run against him? Yeah. Oh, is he is he committed to it? Yeah, not not yeah, yeah, yet, yeah, yeah, but yeah. he's he's seriously yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's, I can tell you, we we may not agree politically, but he's a good person and a decent dude. I'll tell you that. Oh, yes, right. you know, is. I know him he well. Is. I mean, I know him, and we've done some things. But my thing is like, don't make a mockery of leadership. And, and political office or governing human beings. It's not a joke. It, it's a 24-hour day job, seven days a week. And when you make a mockery because you happen to have some kind of status or some celebrity glow, and you have people listening to you because of you've been a great musician, once you leave that lane and go into that real world of trying to figure out, you know, well, how, how do people get their health care or somebody who's ridden with disease or how, how does this community get better education so they won't end up, you know, uh, padding the jail cells? I mean, you got to either, you know, step away from that and get people who are qualified to do that with the intent and the heart and the mind to do that at a steady basis. And endorse that and step out of out of the way, man. And um, when yeah, I mean, we've seen the monstrosities of a Schwarzenegger run. It still it sounds like a joke. Arnold Schwarzenegger was actually the governor of California. Well, that used to seem like a political <laughs> I, joke. Exactly. Yeah, like, used, that used Donald to be Trump funny. is yeah, the yeah, president yeah, yeah, of the United exactly. States yeah, of America. Yeah. He's but, a reality show. But, but yeah. like I said, it, it, we gra- we kind of like slowly morphed to that. I mean, or what it floated. To the existence of where it is now, it didn't come out of nowhere. Maybe, maybe it started with Reagan in '66 as the governor of California. But people are like, that's not. Can he? Can you actually be an actor and then be a? How do we know if he's acting right? 
or yeah. acting wrong yeah. or whatever. And then yeah. when he became president, turns out you're particularly well suited to the job when you yeah. have the branding of the. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that, those are the seeds, you know. And then. And yeah. Well, you know, everybody uh, it takes their particular skills uh, to the job. So Reagan was kind of an empty head and he was an actor and they fed him lines and he read it. And yeah, that's sure. what he was good at. Sure. And people like that, Oh, well, sure. I want a fake cowboy as my president. Yeah. So you think and Trump is an actor? No, 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 Trump's not I'm an actor. You. Trump's skill is causing chaos for entertainment. Yes, I mean, that's what did correct. he do on The Apprentice? You're fired, you're, every week that's he'd correct. fire someone. That's What's correct. he doing at the White House? Every yeah. week he's firing yeah. someone. If, yeah. you're, if <laughs> your skill is causing chaos as entertainment, what's the ulterior motive? What What is the situation that's behind it? Is it Sessions, is it Pence, who are actually doing the diabolical planning for the next no, 20 no, years? No, no, that's the amazing thing about Trump. Uh, there is no plan. <laughs> like, no, no plan for him. <laughs> But yeah. how about all that behind them? What's the, the diabolical well, you know, conspiracy so behind Trump? When, when Trump got in office, I said, look, here's one thing that's definitely gonna happen before he leaves, which is tax cuts for the rich. And the, and the rest is optional, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then he can resign and he can get yeah. indicted and <laughs> yada, yada. I just need a madman to pass a $7 trillion tax to cut, do, to, which to, is what he's proposed. To be a yeah. whipping of mass distraction. Yeah, yes. And so you go fire people, call da da da, but just right. get. And I don't want someone who's going to be tempered, right. right? I don't want a trillion dollar tax cut. Right. I want a seven trillion dollar tax mm, cut, right? right? So now that's that's been my position all along. But I don't. I think that they got more than they bargained for. <laughs> well, they, none of them bargained for it. Fox News was against him. The Republican Party was against him. Like no one was bargaining. Unless you come for that. up with they a different thing. Yeah, it must be a different thing. Right. They just got it. So I think now, as these as these CEOs are leaving his manufacturing council and he's yelling at them on the way out. Yeah. I think a lot of people in power are going. Maybe we could get somebody else to give us the tax cuts. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't know if this price is worth it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I think he's on borrowed time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I never believed, and you know, and we kind of answered that to that with one of the prophets of rage, uh, our records, songs that we have on the album, and just the whole. Okay, we're not just dealing with a USA perspective. We're talking about unfucking the world. Yeah. This whole world is affected. We we played three continents. To two and a half million people, and every single place that we played in, in one of our twenty-five countries was like, "WTF? What the fuck is going on over there?" Because it's affecting our very moment here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, even if it's ten thousand miles away, and musicians have the passport of music and good vibe and and point of view, even if it's in a different language. And this is why Tom says it's it's that music and that vibration that has to be first and foremost to cut through. We're gonna smoke the crowd, we're gonna smoke the stage, and then everything else is gonna fall in to try to make people understand that, okay, yeah, all right, you, we're gonna leave better than how we came in. Well, I mean, look, to, to finish the story, I started with you know Michael Woods saying whether you think they were lying this whole time. When, when I started listening to your music, Chuck D, not based on the message, I didn't know the message, right? I, I just liked the music, sure. I liked the sound sure. of it, sure. I thought it was badass, sure. and it made me feel good. And then, after listening to it for 100 98 times in a row. I was like, wait, hold up. That's now. how it happens. Yeah. Right. That's how and it then happens. I thought, well, why would they lie about this? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> They've got nothing to gain. Right? Yeah. So that's their experience. That's mm -hmm. their authentic experience. And maybe I should open up my eyes yeah. and my ears and yeah. listen to that. So it goes from you to me to the guy on YouTube sure. today exactly. saying, hey, you know exactly. what? I feel free. Exactly. Because uh, I got liberated from exactly. that. Exactly. And that's why, that's why it's important. A public enemy stood up and it mattered to you. And then you do your thing, you stand up and it matters to others. That's how change happens, you know? And, and, and we're in the time where it's you cannot 
in good conscience sit on the sidelines of history in 2017. Right. You cannot because because the one thing that the young fans, you know, through the my history as a rocker, people are like, well, how do I, you know, what is it possible to change the world? Whatever, you're the only ones that change the world. Like it, you're the only ones that change the world. There's nothing different in the species now than there was when people caused the Berlin Wall to fall, or ending apartheid, or getting women the right to vote, or desegregating lunch counters. It's exactly the same kind of humans who were standing up to the Nazis and the Klan in the streets of Charlottesville that took those heroic actions in the past to make our world a better place. If you don't do that, someone else is sitting in the driver's seat, someone else has their hands on the steering wheel, and they are the real bad hombres. Yeah, and so two quick stories related to what you just said, Tom. One is the, the you mentioned the diners, and it's funny, it's full circle, because it was in North Carolina when four African-American students said, you know what, we're not gonna take yeah, this anymore. And they built themselves up together, yeah. because they, they yeah. joined together. They wouldn't have had the courage to do it on That's their right. own, yeah. and they talked about that. That's right. They said, since there was four of us, mm -hmm. we, we locked arms and said, we're gonna do it. We're gonna sit That's on right. that place that says whites only. Mm -hmm. And they had everything thrown at them, sure. and they were hit and abused, sure. and they had the, and it got to be nighttime, and then the Klan lined up waiting for them outside. Sure. Do you have any idea how scary that sure. is? Those are the original terrorists in America, of course, the, the Klan. And so, but they built up the courage, and it was just four guys, yeah, who, who got together and yeah. they said, "Let's try it." There's a great lesson in that: is yeah. that, that, that while they had influences, and I'm sure Gandhi was one, and whatever, but but that they used in their time and in their city and in their place, they used their intellect, they used their courage, they used their strength of will, and they changed the world. Those four kids are no different than the four, you know, the first four people listening right now, like. Who knows what the next idea is to stop Trump? Does, you know, if you wonder what you might have done in a fledgling Nazi Germany in the early 30s, well, you can figure out what you're going to do now because the history, the future is my man Joe Strummer was that the future is unwritten, and we're writing that future right now. And there's there's some avenues that are pretty dark and there are others that only we can create that are gonna be better, more decent and just planet. Yeah, and if you ever thought about, hey, am I ever gonna get tested in a situation like that? Well, you're being tested right now, Yeah. so stand up. Yeah. And that finally, that leads me to, to the other story that I have to tell about the women's rights movement because you also brought that up, Tom. And so I, I wanna get money out of politics, which- Yes, that's which, a, yeah, 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 yeah. And well, so I long started- time crusade. Yeah, that's yeah. right, uh, I started Wolfpack, because mm -hmm. I like cool names too. Uh, and uh, and and we're we're trying and, uh, and we've got it out in five states already where they're gonna call for a convention to get an amendment, to get money out of politics completely, completely. Mm -hmm. Not nickel and dime, mm -hmm. et cetera. And people say, oh, it's discouraging, it's hard. You got the right wing fights us and now left wing groups in Washington, because they get to have, a lot of them get the same donor money, sure. right? They're fighting against change while pretending to be otherwise. But I tell them, look, women didn't have the right to vote. So how in the world could they get the right to vote? That's impossible. Mm -hmm. Everybody told them it's impossible. You have no right to vote. Mm -hmm. How could you possibly like, gain yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> you can't vote for your right to That's vote. That's right. You can't vote. I mean, you want to talk about fight the power. Sure. And from the minute that they did their first protest in the streets of New York, Seven years later, they had the amendment, mm -hmm. and they they'd fought the power and they won. And guys, I mean, we let's end on hope, right? Eighty percent of millennials are progressive, mm -hmm. so through these years we've won. Okay, so what what you're seeing in the White House now is the last gasp of the angry white mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. but the reality is most of the white men in this country who are young are on our side sure. because they're for 
equality, sure. they're for America, they're sure. for freedom, they're for all the things that we, yeah. just getting the America to live up to its ideals, yeah. right? Yeah. It had always had the ideals, it didn't always live up to it, and we're, and we're, and we're trying to get yeah. there. And so we wanted civil rights, we wanted gay rights, we won on women's rights, we won against slavery, and boy, it took too goddamn long, mm -hmm. right? And we're still having to rip down monuments today, sure. right? Mm -hmm. But we're gonna win at the end because they're on the wrong side of history, mm -hmm. and the good guys always win. It just takes. Like a I say, none of the while while those have been progressive steps, none of those issues are settled. You know right. what I mean? Like none of those issues are settled, and whether it's women's rights or gay rights or or non-white person's rights, people are trying to erode those every single day. And so now it's, you know, we gotta stand up and keep those rights from going backwards. That's why Profits of Rage is here. Right. And our record's out September 15th. That's what I was just about to ask you. All right, so where can people get the record when it's out <laughs> September? Everywhere, it's everywhere, yeah, September yeah, yeah. 15th. All right. you know, and we're, we're on the East Coast playing some, you know, uh, playing some, like we're playing the Apollo Theater, we're playing the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, some cool venues like that, doing some- uh, 930 Club in 930 DC. Club in DC. We're doing like smaller shows there, they're gonna rock some festivals, but Profits of Rage, September 15th, coming at you. And Unfuck the World, where can they see that? Every a YouTube is available, Live, you go to ProfitsOfRage.com, we got videos out the yang. Yeah, All right. Yourself. Tom Morello, Chuck D, absolute pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. At True Rebels at Rebel Headquarters. Thank you. Thank you. Really, Cheers. really appreciate it. Thank you, guys.